So good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode one of my grassroots podcast, Our Moral Imperative. And um, the show we're going to be doing for the month of June is titled White People for Race Unity. Um, And the song you heard coming in was Times They Are Changing by Bob Dylan. I think you guys all know that song really well. Once again, my name is Adelia and welcome everyone um, who's listening. My name is Rob and this week we're going to be talking about people you may know. And this week we have Fred Rogers and you grew up watching tv i'm sure you know who fred rogers is jane (laughs) elliott who was on an episode of the oprah winfrey show who was talking about her groundbreaking blue eyes brown eyes experiment in first lady eleanor roosevelt and so these are like some pretty interesting people that i think we're going to be learning more about today um so just I would like to encourage you if you're if you're tuning in and if you want to actually read um, some of this some of their stories over the month we're going to be actually they're going to be going out every couple of weeks um, so you want to go to our TikTok channel Inspire Cycle Breakers or the Instagram channel also called Inspire Cycle Breakers so let's get started having this conversation um who do you want to start telling us about rob well let's go from the past to the present and start with eleanor roosevelt's okay first lady she was a lot of people called her the first lady of the world she was a very influential person and she was the longest first lady in the united states too what were some of the highlights about the work that she did while she was first lady and I mean and did she do stuff when she was no longer when her husband was no longer in office and she was no longer quote unquote the active first lady well she was highlights she was always like a pacifist and an activist so that was kind of always in her blood but she very vocally rejected racial prejudice and promoted economic empowerment and civil rights for black Americans. And it wasn't just for black people too. She also defended civil liberties of Japanese Americans during World War II. And she supported the expansions of women's rights. She had branches everywhere. Mm, mm. So that so those are some of the highlights of Eleanor Roosevelt. Was there one thing in particular that kind of caught your attention when you were doing research about her and putting together like the the story of her work around racial justice? Was there anything in particular that stood out for you? Well, the the first thing that stuck out honestly was the fact that she was a really like a the first lady for a long time but as I did research into her I found out she um had adopted this document called the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and Mm. it had gotten approved and it was a very powerful like statement piece not even really a statement piece like declaration like it says it was the declaration of just 
how um, Eleanor Roosevelt felt about human rights and how she wanted to, she wanted more rights for everyone. Ended up ended up getting called the Magna Carta of something. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but right. it became a Magna Carta to everyone's eyes, and it was it was a very interesting thing to read. Mm, beautiful yeah so like Eleanor Roosevelt is she she definitely is probably one of the most influential first ladies um that I feel like as Americans we were very lucky um to have her and to have that example for Mm -hmm. what what white people who are in power who who can who are in a space where they can actually shape policy, potentially have impact on, on um, in a wide ranging of, of policies and such, like how mm-hmm. she used her, that platform um, to make that happen. So who, who was the next person that you would like to, so there were three, so who's, who's the next person we can talk about? The next person is Mr. Rogers. Okay. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Rogers was, I mean, everyone knows Mr. Rogers, but yes, he was American TV host, <laughs> author, producer, and he was a Presbyterian minister too. Okay. Yeah. And he ran Mr. Rogers neighborhood for about 33 years. And he touched on every the single subject that you can possibly think of like death and sibling rivalry school enrollment, divorce, but there was one specific episode that aired where one of the returning characters, Officer Clemens, Mr. Rogers had invited him to go into a pool with him and just hang out with him, which that might seem simple right now, but for the time, it was in 1969, Mr. Rogers broke the color barrier and that was like a huge monumental thing for the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Irie, Uh, when I was actually watching the video uh, of the interview, um, I'm not going to give that away. You need to go and go to the, go to our Instagram or TikTok channels to see the interview. But that was a thing that stood out for me that it, it was a simple, by our standards today, it was a simple action, but by the standards of that time, it was like he he had like rocked the world <laughs> especially when it came because, to like especially because yeah, not only did he share the pool with him but mr rogers also shared his towel and then used the same towel afterwards yes he he wiped his he he dried his feet his the officer's feet with the towel mm-hmm. um yeah yeah i do recognize even as a kid i recognize just his um, he was very gentle in his language and he was very inviting and conversational. Like his tone was also very welcoming. Um, and, you know, during that time, um, let's see, I think it was like PBS and um, like other educational shows were starting to air um where you know if children were at home so like this was still a very new thing too like in the mm-hmm. it started in the like late 60s early 70s or so it was a very new thing for children to be able to go on to the tv 
and be able to um, actually interact and learn. Mm. And I think that was the other thing that made Mr. Rogers so powerful is it, even though he was in the TV, you know, and they had the puppets and stuff, it, it felt very interactive. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. I don't know if and you I, know this, but mm -hmm. right before that episode aired, or maybe right after that episode aired, PBS threatened to cut funding to, they were, they were threatening to cut funding to PBS. And Mr. Rogers was one of the last people that spoke for that fund cutting and they changed their mind over it because of him. Wow. Well, I did not know that. That was yeah. definitely a new, a new thing. I had never heard that. Yeah. And like it was under during... Nixon's presidency. Mm -hmm. That does not surprise me, <laughs> but I didn't know it. You know, I wonder honestly, like how many public broadcasting, you know, NPR type shows get this close to being canceled. Um, but the people are like, no, this is what we want. But anyway, mm -hmm. yes, yes. So um, then the next is, uh, who was our third person? We have Jean Elliott with her blue okay. eyes and brown eyes experiment, which she conducted. First with her third grade class the day after MLK got assassinated, MLK Jr. got assassinated. She is considered to be the forerunner of diversity training because of her blue eyes, brown eyes exercise. And she's done trainings <clears throat> for corporations such as General Electric, AT&T, Exxon. She's lectured to the FBI, the IRS, the Navy, the Postal Service. She's another person who has branches and places you wouldn't expect to. Yeah, I actually watched years ago before she was on the Oprah show. I actually, I don't remember how I got to see the, the original footage of the blue eye, brown eye experiment. But I'm telling you, if you can watch the original footage with the, the kids and her in the class, and um, I don't even remember how long it was, but it was long enough to for you to see her introduce this um, introduce this this thing, this activity to the class, and see the children be separated and i'm telling you your heart like i saw some of it cries for them yeah when she was yeah. like okay you guys are gonna get recessed and you guys have to stay inside i'm like yes. you can't do that to little kids <laughs> <laughs> and and you know and then and if you continued watching it was what's really interesting is that the children who were experiencing being um treated poorly because of their eye color, those children began to have like an emotional response in, a, in, a, in, a, in an unexpected way. Mm -hmm. But there was also like this level of this, this level of defiance began to happen too, because mm -hmm. of like 
the injustice of what was going on. Um, and literally that was a very short period of time in a group, in a class full of white children. And it was controlled too. It was controlled, yes. And she did a really good job. I think she gave it context. Like when she actually introduced what they were going to do, she talked about Dr. Martin Luther King having been murdered. And she talked about how black people were being treated and that they were going to do this exercise in class so that they could actually see like how racism affects people. And so I think like the way that she set it up, the children got the context of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think the way she wrapped it up, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it wrapped up with all of the children being, you know, together and- mm -hmm. It almost told a story. It, yes, yes. And, and, and it was really interesting if you watch the whole thing, how much, that was a short period of time. So if you can imagine hundreds of years of that kind of treatment and the behaviors those children were showing in class after a short period of time of being treated the way they were being treated, you could see if you were reflecting on the black community mm -hmm. and, how, and how the black community was, how it was showing up that, that level of, of, um, of discrimination and injustice, um, that defiance, that em like being emotional, um, you know, how you feel when you feel like you're not being seen or respected. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was really telling. It was really telling. Yeah, I really liked yeah. the, Oprah. I didn't finish all of the third grader one, but I, I finished the Oprah Winfrey one. And, mm -hmm. ooh, yes. That was intense, especially when we were like reflecting on it. Oh my God. I had to sit there and pause a couple of times and I was like, wow like especially when during the oprah winfrey one where she compared it to the hiv aids epidemic that was going on and how like the gays were being like shunned away because of that i was mm -hmm. that struck a chord i was like oh you are my hero oh yeah yeah i mean that i think that doing it with adults is so different oh yeah um because I feel like they get it more, so they're able to react in a more, I, like, it's still in an emotional way, but, like, mm -hmm. more from a place of logic, I guess, than, like, versus yeah, like, it, kid it, one, for example. Yeah, that, that's true, but there was some kind of illogical stuff, Ugh. too, that happened there, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. not to give yes. too much away, once again, you need to, if you haven't watched this Oprah Winfrey um show with jane elliott you have to oh yes um, i don't even watch oprah winfrey and i watched that yeah. episode i was invested <laughs> yes it's the i think it's called it's blue eye brown eye um the blue eye brown eye experiment and they do it with the audience members mm -hmm. and this was in the early 80s so it wasn't honestly probably too long after um, Jane Elliott did the the one in her classroom with her third graders. It was probably maybe 
15 years, at the most 20 years later. I don't even think it was that long later. Um, but yeah, it was like the 1980s hair, everything, the hair, the clothes. <laughs> like, yes. Super nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> Super nostalgic. So, so now we have, we've learned a little bit about these, you know, these, these individuals who are white, who did in their lives, they did um, work for racial justice that was powerful. And um, I think we both agree it was pretty important work. Definitely. And so really wanting to reflect and connect this to the present to, um, because you know my goal is to inspire cycle breakers, inspire white people who are trying, who are making an effort to, um, to break cycles of generational racism and white supremacy. And sometimes the best way to do that is look at examples of what people have done. And so just to kind of reflect on it, I mean, we can, I had some questions I was gonna ask you. And then if you have questions you wanna ask me, we can do that. Um, so, let's see here, what qualities, if you, when you look at these three individuals, what qualities did they each um, demonstrate that they don't have to be the same qualities, but what qualities did they demonstrate in, in the work that they were doing, the actions that they took? I think I could use one to describe all of them. And I think that would be courageous because mm. everyone was doing these actions in a time where it was very under scrutiny and everyone was like nitpicking. And if you were like, you know, everyone was just being mad about it. And it takes a very like courageous person to step up and say, this is wrong and we need to change what we're doing. Yeah. And, and that kind of courage, how would, how important is that, that quality for white people to have today? I mean, I think it's really important because you could, if you had that level of courageousness, you could be the next Fred Rogers or the next Jane Elliott. It just takes that one action, just that one correct message on the right day to get mm. people to at least make something click. Maybe not for so everyone, you, but. Right. But do, do you think that, so when you, when you look at the current situation in America and you look at the efforts and the actions that they took, do you feel like they have an impact on, did it, did it affect change in a way that, that impacts us today in a positive way? I feel like it kind of had a ripple effect, I guess you could say. When it first happened, it was such a big thing as we started to move on it started to slowly die out which i in my opinion i think that's i don't think this is the right word to say but i think that's pretty annoying mm. honestly yeah i hear what you're saying i mean why why would that feel annoying to you that like over time it just kind of the impact dissipated because the, the racism has not disappeared it mm. never got solved 
So there's there's no reason for it to have that ripple effect and slowly die out. If anything, we should have a stronger stance on it today and be fighting more for it. But instead, it's the complete opposite. Why do you think that is? Ignorance, honestly. Ignorance. So like this, the having an understanding and education about so if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, having an understanding and an education about the the history of racism and, and how it impacts people of color, but then also potentially how that behavior impacts the white community as well. I mean, or like you don't even you have right? to be educated about it, but at least having some mm. sympathy, at least. Like, no one is asking everyone to read every single book and article on racism, but at least having some more sympathy would make everyone's life a little easier. Mm. Why do you think that they chose to, because they could have stayed comfortable, like Mr. Rogers could have stayed comfortable. He had a popular show. I don't know how much money it was making, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he had a Mm. popular show. He could have stayed comfortable in his own house, you know, doing his thing, not rock the boat. Jane Elliott, she's a teacher. She literally could have just taught third grade. Martin Luther King could have died and she could have acknowledged it to herself and then just left it there and just kept teaching. Eleanor Roosevelt, first lady, she could have stayed comfortable in the White House and just attended parties and did like, you know, little things here or there to, so what do you think it took for them to leave the comfort? Because in many ways that comfort is also, is, is, a, is a bubble for the white community. Mm-hmm. So I feel like a lot of white people have a hard time breaking out of that bubble because it's scary, once again, courage, because <laughs> it's scary to be uncomfortable. But, you know, Jane Elliott regularly commits herself to being uncomfortable. I mean, Mm -hmm. she has to, to do the work she's doing. Um, Mr. Rogers had to make himself uncomfortable. And who knows, maybe he wasn't, and maybe she isn't, and maybe Eleanor, but at some point there was a, there was a twinge. There had to be something that was just Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to push past this. Um, I mean, what do you think it was that that made them kind of leave their comfort of that white space where they could have just let things go by and not say anything? I feel like, honestly, I try to put myself into the perspective of them. And if I was them, I feel like knowing what was going like what was going on would eat away at me a little bit at a time. And it would get to a point where I'd be like, this is too much and I have the the power and the knowledge to educate people. So I might as well do something about it. And it's so great that you said that because that's the whole point (laughs) of our moral imperative, a revolutionary change in white America is to reach those white people that are similar to you that you see what's going on. It's like, I just can't not do anything anymore. Mm. And I think, yeah, that sense of, of needing to right wrongs is an important thing. And that quality of courage mm. is an important thing to get people to move out of their comfort zones. 
Um, so I, as this, as we're starting to wrap up, I'm, um, do you have any like closing thoughts or reflections about what we've talked about or about the, these, these amazing people that you got to learn more about? I just have to say that, um, when I was doing my research, I was, I was surprised honestly just like reading and learning about all the people I did research on like yeah they've done things for race unity but they're also like very interesting people <clears throat> outside of that and mm. like they're in their minds and I've I've learned a lot about different people not just like in race unity but just about them as a whole and I really appreciate it very interesting people have done very interesting things and I appreciate that <laughs> Yeah, and and that it can be the everyday person, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's an everyday, you know, people who aren't, who don't consider themselves interesting, you know, they end up being ordinary people ended up doing extraordinary things. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I think the thing that separates the ordinary from the extraordinary is courage. Yes. Yeah, is that commitment to being uncomfortable. So I hope that if uh, you are listening to us today for episode one of White People for Race Unity, that you learned some new things and, and that you were inspired in some way by, um, by the conversation and, and the lives of the people that we got to focus on. Um, I encourage you to come back next week for episode two. Um, who will we be talking about for episode two? Episode two is going to be women's only. So it's going to be Peggy McIntosh, Heather Booth, and Joan Mulholland. All right. <laughs> so next week is all about the women. Um, so thank you so much again, Rob, for your great research and for this conversation. Um, just to um, encourage you once again to go to our um, go to our moral imperative. Um, Inspire Cycle Breakers on Instagram and TikTok for our our posts about these individuals. If you want to see pictures and videos and read about their lives, that's where you'll find it. Um, and yeah, and remember that you can find this podcast on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. So, have a good day, everyone. Yes, have a good day. Until next week. Oh, the times they are a-changing.